Ladies and gentlemen, it is your host, Andre Norman, and I am here in the building, Gillette Stadium, home of greatness, you know what I'm saying, and the birth of a dynasty that's never going to be repeated. And I want to introduce to you our next guest. I think you might be the most famous guest. You know I'm saying? You got 10 Pro Bowls. Just trying to do my job, Andre. That's Mr. all. Matthew Slater. Did they ever tell you you sound like an old man? You've heard that do before? I? You know, I like that. I take that like as a, a compliment. Distinguished I man. take that as a compliment. You sound like Andre. an older, I, distinguished I, guy. I appreciate that. I'm 56, that. and you sound like you're older than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that's a good thing. It's phenomenal. I mean, you have like a radio voice. Well, thank you. You're too kind. You're too kind. I appreciate that. No, I I sound like my dad is what a lot of people tell me. So That is not a bad thing. Yeah. And so you sound like you're soon to be a Hall of Famer, too? I don't know about all that. You know, so, I, I, I've just had a great experience here. I've enjoyed my time. It's, it's been a blessing. It really has. So tell us about that. Man, I mean, where to start? Um, for me, I, I always tell people my relationship with my father, it's really about a father and a son. I mean, people always want to take it to football. But for me, I realize um, as a black man, uh, what, a, what a blessing it was to have a father who was present, active, and involved and was really vital in terms of forming and developing me as a young man. He was very intentional about that. And that's not something that I take for granted, having a, having a father in the home who really cared about my brother and I and our family <clears throat> and was really, you know, a lot of people talk about family first. He really was family first. So um, my dad is my hero. I mean, everything I know about being a husband, being a father, uh, being a professional, um, it came from him. It started with him. He put the foundation in place. He was hard on us. Uh, he was very strict <laughs> when we were young. Still is. Still giving me advice, even though I'm 37 years old. He's still my dad. So um, our relationship is really special. I'm, I'm very, very thankful for him and, uh, you know, all the things he's done in my life. You know. Does he come to the games? He, do, he does when he can. My parents are still in Southern California. Uh, Great weather town. Yeah, I, I don't blame him for not leaving there. And once my dad retired, his last year, the Rams played in St. Louis. So we moved to St. Louis for about eight months and then went back to California, and they've stayed there. My parents have stayed there. So they get out here when they can. Uh, it's a long flight, but, you know, they got grandkids here, so they love to come visit when they can. Now, I've seen a hundred times when they show – I'm saying the dad and the son when he's a little baby. Now the kid's grown up and he's playing. Did you go to the Hall of Fame speech? I did. Yeah, I was 15 years old when my dad got inducted in the Hall of Fame. So um, I remember that that time vividly. It was really, really special for our family. You know, as a kid, like I knew my dad was good at football, but it was just dad. I didn't was realize. I didn't realize he was uh, that type of player, and um, it was really humbling for me to see him honored in that way to hear people talk about him as a player and I think you know now more so than ever I have a tremendous amount of respect for he, what he did with his professional career especially playing you know 20 years as an offensive lineman uh, I can't imagine that's it. a long time I can't imagine it so um, that was a you know really really special time for our family it really was 15 running around Hall of Fame yeah, yeah I mean it's I had some pretty surreal experiences <laughs> as a young person, um, and I, I certainly don't take those for granted. Um, and they've been so instrumental in my journey. Um, obviously, I, I, I feel without my dad and, and him paving the way, I certainly wouldn't have had the career that I've had. So, uh, you know, that was really, really cool. What was your favorite Pro Bowl? 
your first or your last or something in the middle? Oh, man. I mean, you know, they're kind of like your kids. You love them all. <laughs> I say the same thing about the Super Bowls. I, but, you know, I think the first was very special. Um, going from a guy who wasn't sure he would have an opportunity to play in the league to then my fourth year in the league being named to my first Pro Bowl, uh, it was very, very humbling. And it meant a great deal to my family and I. But for me, it was kind of a – the validation of the hard work and the preparation, the sacrifice, um, the blood, sweat, and tears that, hey, you know, people acknowledge my work and they respect it and they appreciate it. So that meant a lot to me. And I think when you think about how many good players in this league, especially over the the course of my career, um, for guys to to select you to a Pro Bowl, um, it's the ultimate honor from your competitors. So um, that first one was, you know, very, very meaningful to me. And coming here to home base, how was that? Oh man! Of all the teams, <laughs> was this was this your dream team? Would you want to go to the Rams? Well, I've got like to be that. honest with you. I hated the Patriots before I got here because they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. Who was supposed to? So, <laughs> so you know, <laughs> that I grew up a Rams fan, obviously, and and always had love for the Rams. And then, you know, this Brady guy goes and beats the Rams in the Super Bowl. But no, no. That's but what we're supposed to do. That exactly. Now, now, now in you hindsight, I understand and I appreciate that, okay. and uh, and I forgive Tom for that, you know. But no, I, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine myself being in a better situation. Um, you know, you talk about the ultimate team, the ultimate organization from top to bottom, with the leadership in the organization, uh, the emphasis that we put on commitment to others and commitment to the team goal and uh, just just winning football you know it's not about the I it's about the we and to be around some some of the all-time greats to ever play this game obviously with Tom but uh, the list goes on I played with Richard Seymour Rodney Harrison Teddy Bruschi Mike Vrabel um, too many guys to name and to have a chance to witness that up close and personal uh, was truly uh, just so humbling and a blessing for me. Uh, I don't think I would have learned how to how to play and and last in this league without being around those guys early on in my career. So, well, Rodney Harrison lives down the street from me. I live Does down. He the, really? Excuse me. He's the Pro Bowler. I live down the street from him. Okay. Okay. He was there first, and I saw him the other day before I came. Out. I'm like, yo, I'm on the way to New England, man. I'm about to go do some interviews. I told him I was going to interview. He's like, yeah, you got the right guy. Oh man. So I mean, you want to give Rodney a shout well, out? Well, I, I would like to give Rodney a shout out because. Um, I grew up in Southern California, Junior Seau, Rodney Harrison, those were two icons. Um, you know, you talk about football, NFL football in, in California. And to be able to play with those two guys was unbelievable. But, but Rodney, I always they asked me, like, who is the most intimidating guy you play with? And I would say him on the field because um, he took no prisoners. I mean, he was he was coming out to dominate and to physically impose his will, and he played the game the right way. I always say that. People have their opinions about Rodney, but I always say he played the game the right way. But then when he got off the field. Oh, he's in, he he, I mean, it's like, it's like a totally different guy. And he was so kind to me. I mean, he was in year 15 when I was a rookie. He didn't have to go out of his way to, you know, extend me grace or be kind, but he did. And I, I've always appreciated that. And um, I always remember that. You never forget that as a young player the guys that took the time that didn't have to to pour into you, show you how to be a pro, but 
show you how to be a man as well. And he was one of those guys, and um, you know, so I certainly appreciate. He was a hero him. for you. Mm-hmm. Who have you been a hero to? Well, look, I th- that's tough for me to say. I don't think that's for me to say. No, uh, well, who have you gone on your way well, for? Well, now, you have to be a hero. But he went yeah. out. He, if I said to him, I told him your name, he said, <laughs> "Yeah, for sure, uh-huh. that's my guy." Uh-huh. You're saying. Who have you gone out of your way for? Now, yeah. the impact from their perspective is their perspective. But yeah. who you say, you know something? Let me go ahead and pull this young boy up and give yeah. him something in his ear. Well, look, I try to do that for as many guys as I can. Um, obviously, the guys that play in the kicking game, those are the guys I spend a lot of time with. You know, I think about Brendan Schooler, who came in last year as a young pup and had a phenomenal year for us, and I think he's going to have a phenomenal career. I tried to spend as much time with him as possible. I think about over the years, guys like Brandon King or Keon Crossan, young guys who, you know, fringe players in the NFL, what do they have to do? They have to play special teams. And I've tried to um, impart the wisdom that I have and leave it with them. And hopefully, you know, they've taken something from it and, and feel like it's it's helped them along the way. But I think no matter what you accomplish in this league, you, have, you always have to remember where you started. And you have to remember you got to where you are because somebody helped you along the way. And you have a responsibility to do the same. High school. Hurdle? Heard you was a hurdler. No, you know, they wanted me to be a hurdle. I ran the 100 and the 200. You got records back home. I, well, they've since been broken now, unfortunately. There's a young man, Max Thomas, who's now at USC. Oh, you know the name? Yeah, I know the name. You know, you never forget the name. Well, did uh, you come out the stands with the, with the shirt when you, went, <laughs> you broke it? <laughs> no, uh, my coach called me and was like, hey, we got a kid. And. I think he's going to break your records, and he did. And he's, uh, you know, he did a phenomenal job. But I love track and field. Um, that was kind of my second love next to football. I still am a huge track fan. My wife's like, how do you know all these times and all these people from different countries? I love track. Um, I really enjoyed running track. I was supposed to run at UCLA, but, you know, the football coaches, they always, nah. they're like, no, you got to lift these weights. You got to learn this playbook. So, um, I enjoy track in high school. Uh, I think it, you know, helped me as an athlete. Obviously, with the football cor- correlation with the running, I think it was uh, really big for me. Since you've been here, one of the biggest things that I've noticed and I've heard about is the work you do off the field. I'm saying, why do you go in the community so hard? Why do you go help people so much when you could just be a superstar and just sitting here and just got you got rings? Well, for me, it, it all stems from my faith in Christ. Uh, you know, I, I realize I am who I am because of what Christ has given me, the freedom, but the gifts, the platform, they all come from Jesus. So for me, I feel like it's a biblical concept that to whom much is given, much is required. And he's given me a tremendous platform, and I have a responsibility not to hoard my blessings. It's it's. I should be a vessel that the blessings pass through. So with what he's given me, I feel in turn I have a responsibility to give back and to use my platform to better the lives of people around me in a positive way. So um, I've felt that way since I was a young person. That's how I was raised. And now that the Lord has elevated my platform, I feel like I have a responsibility now to to do more with it. So um, it started at home for me. The crafts have certainly modeled that here had a number of teammates that have modeled it over the years. The first person that comes to mind is Devin McCourty. But I think, you know, it's just so important that we don't just think about us all the time. You know, we, we've been given a lot. Um, we, we're asked of a lot and people look to us a lot. 
and we have to do the right things with that. We have to be good, responsible stewards of with what we have. So I've tried to do that, and, and I'll continue to try did to do that. Did you grow up in the church, or did you get saved later? Uh, I grew up in the church. For me, um, my parents, I mean, faith was was at the top of the list, no matter what it was. I mean, it was never football. It was, you know, football was fourth or fifth on the list. It was faith and it was family. Uh, I got saved when I was seven years old. Um, my dad um, led me to the Lord, and I've been walking with him ever since. So, You remember that day? I do. I certainly do. Yeah. How'd it go? I mean, for me, well, just to give a little context, my dad, I mean, he's a very demonstrative guy, loves to tell a story. He's loud, I always say, but he used to always read the word to us, and then he would act out scripture. So from the time I can remember, he would do that at night, and I think we really developed a love and a passion for the word of God. And then I think one night when I was seven years old, he kind of laid out the plan for salvation, uh, told me about, we talked about sin, we talked about um, the redemptive work that, that Christ did on the cross uh, with his death and his resurrection. And we talk about, you know, the impact that that had for us uh, as followers and for those who placed their trust in him. So, you know, in my, in my seven-year-old brain, I was able to understand what that meant. Obviously, it was at an elementary level at the time, but I was ready to say yes. And uh, I was ready to make that my own personal faith, not the faith of my father and my mother, but uh, Matthew's faith. And, uh, you know, th thank God the Spirit moved to me and, and I accepted Christ at that time. And uh, over the last 30 years, you know, I've learned and grown a ton. And, and uh, the faith journey has been one that has been so very rewarding. It, it brings more purpose and meaning to my life than anything I have in it. And, um, you know, it all started at home, and I'm thankful for my parents setting that example. I know. I watch football. We all watch football. That's why we're, we're here. Everybody watching this better watch football. We see at the end of the game, some of the players go in the end zone, and they kneel down, and they pray together. From home, I don't. I, I trust that they're praying. It, only, it makes sense, but you only watch it on TV. It's a bunch of guys on knees praying. We assume praying and holding hands. It's like, okay, you've been in those circles. How does that go? Yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of like an unwritten rule now. You know, uh, meet me at the 50. I hear guys talk, kind of describe it as such. But, you know, we, we know we're going to meet at the 50-yard line, and we know usually someone from the home team is going to lead us in prayer. And I think for those of us who are believers in Jesus, uh, we realize that at the end of the day, we're all on the same team. Um, you know, what we do on the football field is great, but there's one thing that will unify us now and forever, and that's our belief and dedication to Jesus Christ. And uh, I think it's important in all situations as Christians that we acknowledge that. And I'm glad that I'm not sure when this started. Uh, uh, they've probably been doing it since my dad played. Uh, but I'm glad that men decided that that was a good idea, and that's something that we've kept up. That's been a tradition that the league has maintained over the years, um, and I think it's a great reminder, right? In all things, you want to do it as unto the Lord and not unto men, and that includes when we're on the field on Sundays, Mondays, Thursdays, whenever it may be. Have you ever led the prayer at the 50? Uh, yes. I mean, I, I've led at this point, uh, I mean, dozens of them. And, um, you know, that's a special time to be able to come together with someone you were just trying to take out and then yeah, kind of come together and pray, you know. I know it's a private moment. I would love if they could, like, mic that. Yeah. I mean, say you got hot mics everywhere, yeah. right? I'm, we see you go there. We know what you're doing. 
but right. we can't fully participate. Yeah. June 12, 1999 at 7 p.m., I got saved. Father Martin from St. Basil Methuen did a program at the prison about five miles from here. I had spent that. 13 and a half years in prison for being a gang member, being mm-hmm. this out of control, and I went to a program. A guy said to me, Gordon Haas, he said, Andre, you need to go to this program. I said, what are you talking about? It's called Crisillo. I'm like, all right, whatever. I ended up going to the program. Crisillo is a crash course in Christianity given by the Catholic Church. So I had all these people come up to the prison because they can't let us go home for the weekend because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd have been signed up. <laughs> and we come in. They come in. I walk into a room. It's a room full of white people. First off, I'm in like all the terms, all white people. And they're hugging each other. I'm like, I'm standing in the corner. I'm like the only <laughs> black dude in the room, right? Then they saw me. And they started coming at me. I'm like, oh, my God, I ain't got no knife on me, nothing. <laughs> I'm about to get... And they came over and they started hugging me. I wasn't up to that. Then we spent the weekend going through, you know I'm saying, different scriptures, different songs, different fellowship, different lessons. And on the third night, second night, they do a chance for you to um, go to, not what do you call it, confession. Mm-hmm. I went to confession with Father Martin. At first, I went to another line. Because Father Martin was so direct. He probably like your dad. He was just like, boom. Uh, uh-huh. He was just like real. I said, okay. I, they, they brought other priests in to do the, just for the confessional. So I went and got another priest line who didn't, I ain't dealt with for the last two days. I'm in line. I'm like, man, you being a coward, Dre. You know you're supposed to be upstairs in Father Martin's line. Mm. So I get out of that line. I go upstairs. I go in with Father Martin. Two hours. Wow. I had a lot of stuff. <laughs> he walked me through two hours of confession. Mm. Um, 31 years old. I've been getting in trouble and doing stuff forever. Two, that man was patient. At the end, we did the Romans roadmap. Mm-hmm. I took a knee, and I got saved. I went back to the unit that night. I walked out of there. I was like the last out of the building. <laughs> I, go, I walked in the unit, and the CO said to me, the correction officer said, Dre, there's something different about you. Wow. He could see it. Wow. Then I went in, and I finished the weekend out. And the craziest part was, at the end of the weekend, we have everybody come in this big celebration and they get up. What does Jesus mean to you? You share. Then I sat down and I'm sitting there. We did three days and everybody left and I'm sitting there, sitting there. And then this God came in. CEO came in. He said, Dre, what are you doing in here? So I'm waiting for the program to start back up. He says, Dre, the program ended two hours ago. I said, no, no, they're coming back. <laughs> he said, Dre, everybody's gone home. I was so on fire that I sat in my chair in the auditorium two hours after everybody left. Wow. And he, and he explained to me, he said, it's called your fourth day. You do three days in the program. Your fourth day is the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You, you, now that you got it, there's no fifth day. Mm-hmm. It's the fourth. Mm-hmm. You go. There's no off. Mm-hmm. You just go. And I walked out of that room two hours after everybody else, but with a clear conviction and a purpose on how to be helpful and the direction of my energy. Because my mother used to tell me as a kid, if you take 10% of your energy and put it to something good, you can turn the world upside mm-hmm. down. I just didn't know how to control my mm-hmm. energy. And in that weekend of meeting Christ and meeting those folks, that um, it got past them being a room full of white folks. It wasn't even about them after right. a while. It was just about the lessons and the direction for my life and what I was going to do. And I've been home from prison for 23 years. And from 90 minutes after I walked out of prison, I went to a juvenile center. And I started teaching. And I've been teaching for 23 years wow. since. Praise God. Wow. And so when I, when I, they told me you was coming, I was like, for sure. Man. Well, I I mean, your story, it it speaks to the power of Christ, right? I mean, that's why I truly believe um, everyone can. Our story. 
You're right. It's no, Both it's, of our stories. Both right. our story. We're right. in this you're together. Right. You're like you said, right. we meet at the 50. You're right. But the redemptive power of Christ, right? I, I think we live in a society now where, you know, we're, we're so ready to write off people uh, for their mistakes, for their past, whatever it is. But a story like yours, uh, a story like mine, anyone who's been touched and impacted by the power of Christ, you, you can see the transformation that, happen, that happens and the redemptive power uh, that, that he possesses. And, I, I mean, I just praise God for your testimony. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's a huge encouragement to hear. It really is. And you're a huge encouragement for me and my son because my son's never been to prison. He's never been to, mm. for lack of a better term, a public school. He's mm-hmm. been in private school since birth, and he's on track to a phenomenal Ivy League school, and he oh, has your story. Awesome. That's awesome. So I'm looking at you, and I'm seeing my son. And I'm like, that's, okay, this is what he's – he's not going to turn into this. Yeah. This is a manifestation of street dysfunction, prison, and redemption. Right. He's not going to have that story. Right. My son's going to look more like you than he's going to look like me relative to his walk. Oh, and I'm man. looking at you, and I'm like, I like this. Oh, that's I, I'm liking this look. Because yeah. I can see my son sitting there oh, in another 15 years saying, yeah, that's Christ great. is real. And he doesn't have the prison story. He'll yeah. never have it. Yeah, I have it for both of us. Well, you changed the, the course of your family, the trajectory, right, with, yeah. with your choices. So yeah. kudos to you. We yeah. out here. And yeah. you're out the foundation, the family foundation. Where did it come from? Yeah, well, really, uh, that credit goes to my wife, Shahzad. I mean— she really was praying for a while about what we could be doing as a family to serve. Um, you know, a lot of the things that that we did prior to the foundation um, were just, you know, either partner with the Patriots or partner with other ministries or just kind of one-off things. And for us, we wanted to be very intentional about our entire family serving. Uh, I want my three sons and my daughter to be involved in service. I want them to understand the importance of using their platform the right way. And I want them to understand that life is not about, you know, what you guys want all the time. It's about what we can do to help those around us. So really our mission is to to show people the love of Christ and then to do that in a way where we preach it and teach it, but then also show them through, through actions and the way we live it. And um, you know, I hope we can use our resources and our connections and our relationships to really just help help people. I mean, that that's really our heart and, and the passion that we have. So we do a lot of our work in the Providence area. My wife lived there um, when we met, and all our kids were born in Providence. We used to go to church in Providence. And we have a really strong connection with the community there. And, uh, you know, they're hurting in a lot of ways, as a lot of communities are. But we want to use what little influence we have to try to help. When I my son, I used to drive my son to school. He went to a school called Shady Hill in Cambridge. It's a private school. I used to drive from the hood to Shady Hill. And what we used to do, stop at Dunkin' Donuts, of course. Of course. Was, <laughs> I, I am so mad that somebody switched they switched it to Dunkin'. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you doing? It took it hasn't grown on me yet. When they switched from the old school Patriot uh, to the new guy, it uh, took me a while, but it grew it, on me. Yeah. I'm saying, but when they switched from Dunkin' Donuts to Dunkin', that's another story. We're not gonna go there. <laughs> But we used to stop at Dunkin' Donuts and on the way. And then every now and again, we would stop. He had a my, my, I, rule in my house, if I give you something new, you got to give away something. Mm. You can't keep everything. Mm. You're a blessed kid, so I'm giving you this coat. We're going to mm. do the old coat. Right. Giving these, you want new toys? Yeah. Which old toys are you giving up? So we had jackets. So we on the way to school, we would stop and find a homeless person. I used to make my son go give him the jackets. Oh, that's for that. 
love and that. I love that. He and we stopped on Mass Ave over by South Bay one time. Mm-hmm. It was, he had we had food left over. I don't take food home. If I eat at a restaurant, I got some food, I'm giving it away before I go home. So I made my son get out. He was scared to go up and get these people on the sidewalk mm-hmm. this food. But he went through the nervousness early. He went through the fear early. He lived in Africa. He was playing soccer because that's what they play. I took him to the hood and they out and they playing on a dirt field. I put him inside. I said, Brooks, you notice anything? I said, none of these kids got shoes mm-hmm. on. Take your shoes off, make it fair. So he takes his shoes off. He's playing. They play the game. His mother's having a fit. <laughs> but, you know, that's what wives do, moms do. So at the end of the game, I said, you know what I'm going to tell you, right? He says, yeah, I know. Took the shoes, one game. I said, I, mean, I didn't have to tell him. He got like eight pairs at home. Yeah. So he went over, gave a kid a pair of shoes, his shoes, and came got in the car barefoot. I want to believe that those lessons will transcend over any sit-down conversational about business or direction yeah, the stuff that he lived absolutely and, and i think you know our lived experiences and in, in situations like that uh are so much more meaningful than like you're saying you know going to meet with a business executive or uh, meeting with a ceo of a fortune 500 company i mean because you realize that life has so much more meaning and purpose and it's really about people it's not I, about I business, do that too right i work with a company called cecp it's an association that has 250 companies, Apple, BlackRock, Delta, mm-hmm. and they raise $21 trillion annually for their companies, but they give away $23 billion. Mm-hmm. Every year they give away $23 billion. That's great. So I learned years ago, there's a group called YPO, EO, Genius Network, um, War Room. They sit around, and they make a lot of money, but they want to give it out. Mm-hmm. And they need to meet you to know how to give it better. Oh, I'll help them give it out. No, I mean, no problems. Because you have CEOs, are locked, they're locked in their own prison. Yeah. They're yeah, locked in a glass tower. Uh-huh. It looks good from the outside. Right. But I wouldn't want Michael Jordan's life. Because uh-huh. every time I watched The Last Dance, he was in locked hotel yeah, rooms the whole tough. time. That's tough. When yeah. John Stockton got off the bus in, at the Olympics and walked home, and they were all stuck on the bus because he's Michael Jordan. Right, right. You can't do that. Yeah. You get mobbed. Yeah. But these CEOs, I found out, and I've been doing it for 15, 20 years, they want to give but they don't have the time or the vehicle. Mm. You sound like the time in the vehicle to me. Well, if they need any ideas, Slater Family Foundation can contact us at the Patriots, and we're happy to help them give their money. Away. No, what happens is <laughs> people give money to people, not to organizations. Yeah, so when true. they meet you, yeah. no, no. When I send them your foundation on a piece of paper, they will look right by mm-hmm. it. But when you walk in the room and your energy and spirit walks in the room and your integrity walks in the room, they're going to want to fund that. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're doing save the whales, save the dolphins, mm-hmm. homelessness. doesn't matter. As long as it's going through you, mm-hmm. they'll trust mm-hmm. and believe in you because you have that light. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. So I want to introduce you to some CEOs who can actually help you. Uh, we would love that. Yeah, I mean, for we sure. We would love that. Because yeah, I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm like, who can I connect them to? I'm like, because you, people watching this show. Right. They're yeah. like, okay, I didn't know. He did humanitarian work. I didn't right, know right. he was out there believing and praying for people. Mm-hmm. And that's what they were doing at, at the 50. We see it, right? but it's different when you hear it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know what you mean. So you got to lead the people in prayer, man. You got to hit them with something, right? Yeah, well, look. I, no, I hit mean, them with something. I, I'm happy to lead us in prayer, and I appreciate you. We're not leaving. We're not leaving. No, I mean, let, let, let's, let's pray right now. Let's go. Yeah. Um, Father God, we just thank you for an opportunity to have a conversation, Lord, and we're thankful that that conversation uh, can be centered around you and what you're doing in all of our lives, Lord. We thank you for the purpose and the meaning that you bring 
to each of us, Lord. And, and I just want to pray for everyone listening right now. Lord, I thank you for who they are, who you made them to be. I thank you for their individual stories, Lord. And if they haven't already, I pray that they um, can see you and meet you, Lord, and, and experience the life-changing, uh, redemptive work that only you can do, Lord. Um, I'm just thankful for this time uh, together, Lord. I'm thankful for uh, you blessing us with media uh, that can reach and touch people out there. And I, I want to pray especially for the people here in this that are behind bars. Lord. I, I, I want them to know that uh, they're not forgotten about. They're, they haven't been uh, cast aside. There are people that care about them and love them and want the best for them, Lord, just as you do. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Question. Because I know this for a fact. I, do, I go around the world and I do interventions in all different types of places and spaces. Everybody's always going through something. Mm-hmm. You included. Absolutely. When you're going through stuff, who do you lean on? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, the, the first person, obviously, is my wife. Um, she's my support system. And I think you make a great point. We all go through trials. That's life. And, and you know, anyone who tells you that they don't, they're just not being honest. They're not, not here being anymore. truthful, right? right? I mean, that's, <laughs> here that's just the reality yeah. of life. So, for me, I'm, I'm very blessed to have someone who um, sees me for who I am, loves me in spite of all my flaws, and then will speak truth to me when I need truth, right? A lot of times when we're going through uh, struggles or adversity, we don't always want to hear the truth. And sometimes when presented with the truth, we tend to flee from it. Um, What's the lesson that you got that you was running from? I mean, there's so many. This, this <laughs> big there, one. This big there's one. so many. I, you know, I think, look, uh, as my wife and I raise our children, we have very, you know, sometimes we have very different opinions on what that looks like in terms of discipline, in terms of the way I speak to the kids and things like that. And she had to open my eyes. She's like, you know, you can't speak to the kids in a way like like you're in a locker room setting. Like that doesn't work. These kids, they need your love, they, they need your affirmation, and they're young. Like you, you can't speak to them like they're your peers uh, in, in a harsh kind of abrasive manner. And, uh, you know, I think – having played here for so long, I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's black and white. Like, this is how coach says, and this is how I'm going to run it at home. You, you quoting Bill check you know, at the house? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, I've been indoctrinated. And, you know, but, you know, as much as I didn't want to hear that maybe I was coming up short in some areas with the way, you know, especially with the way I parent my boys, especially, um, I needed that. I needed that feedback. I needed to take it, and I needed to be honest with myself about, what I was doing and I need to make some changes and you know without my wife speaking that truth to me um and making me see that I mean who knows how that goes I mean the, the words you say the way you raise your children all those things they're so so important and they have such a huge impact on your on your children's lives as they as they grow up and head out into the world so I want to make sure I'm doing it the, to the best of my ability when I was had a son of course gotta have a boy and in my mind, I'm going off what my dad taught, even though he wasn't really in the house. So I was with a friend of mine one time named Deacon John. He's from St. Basil's. He was on that treat, retreat when I got saved, and we've been friends ever since. So he was around when I had my son. I said, yeah, when my son turns 10, we're going to have that come to Jesus meeting. You heard about that. I'm like, he's like, what are you talking about? I said, yeah, well, we, 
skitty kitty beating and we let him know that the world is rough and you listen to that. He said, that's the craziest thing I ever heard in my life, Andre. I said, you don't get it, you're a white guy. <laughs> he, we went back and forth. He says, Dre, that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. I said, dude, y'all kids be acting crazy in the supermarket and y'all don't do nothing. He was saying, my mother stepped to us in the supermarket right, quick. Right. This is, this is a different culture thing. Uh-huh. He said, it's not a culture thing. He said, if you're in your son's life consistently and repeatedly and every day, and you're just there, when he's 10, if you just pull back, you being out of his atmosphere is going to just send him into a tailspin. Mm-hmm. And the disappointment of dad is far worse than anything you could do to him. Mm-hmm. And the lesson you're trying to teach him comes from a place that you only want to deal with. Because that's how slave masters used to raise mm. their kids. And you're right. using that policy and process on your kid, mm-hmm. and you don't even understand where it came from. Mm-hmm. He said, just love him and show disappointment and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And old white guy from Methuen taught me a lesson that changed my son's life. Mm. And he's gotten a couple beatings in his life. But it's not like it will, that 10-year-old come to Jesus me never happened. Right, right. That never happened. Mm-hmm. And he's a dramatically different person because of a lesson I got from a guy from a different part of the planet, but had the heart for me. Yeah. And he was like, just, hey, let me pull your coat to something, Dre. Mm-hmm. And at first, I tried to shut him out because, no, I know what I'm talking about. He says, no, you don't know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. And when we got down to it, he was right. But also, I give you credit for having humility to receive that. I mean, that's tough, right? I mean, especially when that's the way you were raised and probably generation after generation. And if so. you go back generation enough, Dad turns into slave owner. Right. And that's what uh, I didn't yeah. get. Yeah. And, again, for this guy to grow up in a whole different space, I'm like, man, I try to, you don't get it. Right, right. You don't get it. Yeah. But I got mentors. I got mm. so many mentors, it's not funny. How many mentors do you have? Too many to count. <laughs> uh, it's a good sign. But, it, but it's important, right? I mean, no man walks alone. I don't believe in self-made man. I don't believe in men that, that walk alone. You just can't. I mean, life is too hard. There's so much that we don't know. There's so many experiences that we'll never have. And as we try to navigate our own lives and then as we try to lead others around us, if you don't have a mentor um, or mentors, plural, yes, you're just going to lose your way at some point. Um, you need support. You need accountability. And you need people uh, pouring into your life uh, to enrich it, um, to give you wisdom and things of that nature. So, you know, I... You know, obviously for me, the mentorship started with my father, but I think of pastors, coaches, no, no, we need, we, no, no, no. See, I'm not gonna let you do them bad like that. Okay. So I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna act like your wife right now and pull I, your coat. Okay. Call their names, man. All right. They, they deserve to have their yeah, names. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Matt Doan, Michael Wells, um, Larry Toner, Benjamin Watson, uh, Don Davis. Uh, Harold Nash, uh, Jewel Robinson. Uh, I mean, the list is lengthy. I know I'm missing someone. No, no. Now. I mean, but but I mean, the list is the list is real. Is very but very there. long, and all of them have had a unique role and played a unique role in my journey. And they were necessary for different reasons, right? The the role they played was. I needed for you know a season in life or for a situation in life, but I needed them all, and I wouldn't be sitting here. We wouldn't be having this conversation 100%. without those men um, and their you know intentionality in terms of speaking into my life. Keep Dave Spence, Susie Spence, Ben Richter, Deacon John, 
Father Martin, Tim Allen, Pat Dempsey. I go down like right, Robert right. Henderson, who was a correctional guard, nonetheless. You see, I go down the list. Yeah, I have like fifty mentors. Oh man, and I collect them. Yeah, <laughs> it's mm. I, I, listen. Some people collect cars. I collect mentors. Right, right. and they they're there and they're necessary. And it's, mm-hmm. when you need them, that one piece of advice can change your whole Absolutely. life. Absolutely. And this is the thing I got from most of my mentors. What they've saved me was time. Mm. And my guy, mm. Ben Ben Richter, he lives down in Houston. I went down. They were going to make me warden of a prison. I'm like, oh, this is great. I went from being a gang leader in prison, well, now I'm going to run a prison. Never happened before in life. I told my mentor. I was hyped up. I said, I'm going to be on 60 Minutes. I'm going on Oprah. I'm the first gang member to ever be a prison warden in America. This is crazy. He said, you can't be the warden, Drake. I said, no, no, no. I'm going to be the warden. He said, no, no, you can't be the watch. You don't get it. You ain't been it. I wanted this mm-hmm. more than I should have. And he said, Dre, what a warden does, you don't want to do. And if you can't scale that because you're eliminating who you can help, create the program for the 5% of what they want from you. You can send it across the country, across the world. You can help way more people. And he was right. So I never became a warden, but I created a program called the Academy of Hope. And it goes to prisons across the country. And it impacts lives versus being in one prison in Kentucky helping 500 guys. Mm. Saved me years of aggravation from sitting in all these dumb meetings and helped me accidentally help thousands of more people. Mm. Saved me time. Man, how about that? That's how God works, though, right? Oh, God, we, God, we make God plans. doesn't work. God is. We make plans, and we think this plan is best, and then he shows us something that we didn't even think of that's, that's 100 times better. Oh. Way past 100. Yeah. Tell me about the— the award you got, Robin Burton Community Service Award. What was that? I mean, of all, you got ten-time I mean, Pro Bowl, uh, three-time Super Bowl champ, but you got the Community Service Award. On, honestly, for me, anytime someone acknowledges the work that you know we and I say we because it's been a, a team effort have done in the community, it means it means more. Uh, you know what you accomplish on the football field, all that will fade away, and uh, people will forget that. Uh, my dad used to laugh. Someone came up to him at, at one point and said, didn't you used to be Jackie Slater? And my dad just <laughs> laughed. Like, I'm, Ooh, still, I'm still Jackie Slater, but <laughs> yeah. But that's how people view football, right? right. Uh, but the stuff that we do in the community, that's what leaves an impact. Uh, that's where the real legacy is. So to be honored by the Burton family, who is a family, I, I don't know if I know a better family. That All the work that they've done to help young people in the greater Boston area, um, you know, at-risk youth by just instilling in them biblical principles, but just being intentional about walking with them and loving them. So to have my name associated with their family was a tremendous honor. Um, to have my work recognized. I mean, you never do the work to be recognized. Right. Um, it was super humbling. And I think about the people here, you know, Donna Spigarola, Robin Glazer, people that have supported me and helped my family and I uh, as we've tried to extend our reach um you know those awards are are for us they really are and um you know i hate to be recognized for that but it it, it is very humbling and you know more work to do let's keep doing it for the record it's a happy dad moment so your father was back (laughs) in san diego smiling yeah my my parents were definitely (laughs) proud absolutely and you know i'm always happy when they i know they're always proud of me but i'm always happy when no, he you cried know, for that one. You a chance to, to see that, and uh, I know it means a lot to them. He didn't, he's not mad at the three Super Bowl rings either. No, no, he's not <laughs> mad at those either. Before we go, 
we have two but one audience watching us. They'll say two technically, but it's really one. One group is in jail, and I want you to lead them with a message. Then the other group is at home, mm -hmm. and they're watching. I believe there's only one set of people on this planet. Yeah. That it's in different places and spaces. Right. And both sides are going through something. Both sides have challenges. Both sides have to overcome stuff. Both sides have good and bad days. Yeah. They're just sitting in different places. Yeah. So we're not going to do two messages. We're going to do one message combined because y'all know you're good like that. I'm saying we're going to test and pass the skills. You put me on the spot. Oh, listen. But man. you always got to stay ready with the word. And, and that's a – I'm glad you asked that question. And to me, you know, the first thing I think about for the people that are hearing this that are incarcerated is the message of hope. But then hold, on, really, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't, when you say it, both sides have to feel it. You can't say, you just have to go. But really, I believe people are people. Yes, I'm going to tell you this. You think about hope, and people want to say, well, these group of people need hope. But the reality is, we all need hope. Yes. And we're living in a world right now that, to me, is suffocating that hope. Um, no matter where you are, you look at all the the tension, the dissension, the division, the strife, the fighting, the anger, the sadness, uh, that that robs joy and it steals hope from people. And what I know to be true is that I have found a source of hope that can't be taken from me, and that's in Jesus Christ. And I know no matter where you are, no matter where you are in life, no matter how old you are, no matter what your story is, you need hope. There's something in you that's looking for that hope. My question to you is, where are you looking for that hope? I have an answer. And his, an name, answer. his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, and he won't disappoint, and he can give you more purpose and hope and direction than you've ever had. You just got to get, get to know him. Spend some time getting to know him. And no matter where you are in life, no matter what your situation is, he's bigger than it. And he can give you something to look for that's that's bigger than yourself and beyond you. And it's not just for this world, it's for eternity. So whoever's hearing this, I, I ask them, I, I beg them to get to know Jesus Christ. You know, open a Bible, go to a church, ask a friend. There are plenty of ways to do that. But at least investigate them. Um, and I think what you'll find on the other end is is hope. When I started out on my journey, they were like, Dre, I said, I'm going to give this Jesus thing a chance. If it, if it, if it goes left, I'm out of here. <laughs> and it's been a while. 1991. I got saved still, in 99. You're still here. I'll tell you, June 12th, 1999, mm -hmm. 7 p.m. I said, I'm going to give it a mm -hmm. shot. But if it goes sideways, I'm going mm -hmm. back to what I know. Mm-hmm. And I ain't picked up ain't a gun gone back yet. I ain't gone back yet. Yeah. Only gone up. Yeah. Had some rough patches. Yeah. As we all will. But um, Job had a couple. Yeah, right. <laughs> he did all right. You saying that? Had some bad days, but not as bad as Stephen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. I, I, we can, listen, I had a chance to sit down and study and see that our lives reflect the lives that come before us. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it's nothing new. It's just us in our right. turn. Right. And are we going to make it better? Or we gonna suffocate for what's coming next? Mm -hmm. And I like that you're lighting the world. I'm saying, I remember they used to give out the thousand points of light at the White House. They need to call you for that. Oh. They need listen, listen. Shout out to President Biden, 
or whoever's going to be next or down the line, or if you can retro it, you know what I'm saying, Trump, or, I'm saying, or Obama, get this man 1,000 points of life, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Get this. Listen, keep your Super Bowl rings because it's a Boston thing. But get this man 1,000 <laughs> points of life, man. He deserves it. He's worthy. You. Um, you come from good stock. Jesus did a great you. job. Uh, yes, he did. <laughs> he always does. And one day I hope to get to meet your dad. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate you saying that. Thanks for having me. Oh. This is great. Ladies and gentlemen, as your host, Henri Norman, with the none other Super Bowl, it's just a, it's a Patriot thing, Super Bowl champion, Mr. Matthews. Appreciate you. Until the next time, hold it down.